Welcome to another episode of the Zag. Eric Rasob here. Excited to have 2017 NLC LA fellow Alex Sernez here. Talk about all things related to college, college acceptance, all sorts of good stuff on the docket today. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. All right, Alex, how are you? Good, Eric. How are you doing? Good. Hey, listen, I was thinking of you with uh, the tragedy in Florida, the Parkland shooting, and seeing what's happened with high school kids playing such a key role in, in the political discussion right now. When something like that happens and you see kids taking action like that, what kind of thoughts come to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a you know, historian by nature. I, uh, I went up to Berkeley and I remember, you know, when I used to walk on Sprout Hall, um, you know, the, the free speech movement there in the 60s and, and the impact that young students had on, on creating the civil rights movement, a lot of that, those actions back then. And, uh, you know, I have students who walk into our office now and, you know, they're, they're, mo- they're really energized and ready to mobilize. Um, a few of my students actually helped coordinate one of the uh, walkouts last week. And, you know, kids are really eager to, to get involved. And then when you think about the voting age, I feel like that's come up a lot recently, too. Do you feel like it should be lower to 16? What's your what's your stance on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I. You know, it, it, it's kind of when you think about how students are, some students are, you know, 18 and they're, they act like they're 16 and some kids that are 16 act like they're 18. And when I was a 18 year old, I, you know, I was probably like a 15 year old and, um, I, I, you know, I really depends on how students are in terms of their engagement with what they're doing and voting for a lot of students is really that direct way to get involved. Um, but I, I think a lot of students get involved in other ways be, besides voting. Um, I know right now with the congressional races in Orange County, a lot of my students are volunteering on races and getting involved that way just to, to do something if it's, you know, canvassing or phone banking. And, um, you know, I think expanding what students know is, is civic engagement is part and parcel to, to kind of getting students energized. So then tell folks, uh, again, where you, where you work and, and why this, this topic of high school students and high school engagement is, is so relevant to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can start with myself. I yeah. I was uh not the not the best high school student. I used to play craps in my geometry class in the back for quarters. Um, <laughs> I was not engaged at all. Um, both my parents, you know, uh, came from Mexico and they they imbued education in me from from the moment I was born, and it it just kind of went over my head, and I almost dropped out of high school. I graduated with a two point one. And I was a signature away from listening to the Marine Corps. Um, and then I went to community college where I kind of got my second wind. And part of that was uh, precipitated by my the, the finding that I was going to be a dad. So at 17, find I'm going to be a dad, not at that point college material. And um, went to community college. And at that point, really began to understand like my historical background within, within the world, right, as a Mexican-American. And uh, found how powerful that history was and what it meant to me. And from that moment, it just kind of skyrocketed. And now I work with students who who are, you know, highly motivated students, but are underrepresented in higher ed. Um, And, you know, working with those students, it does bring light to some of those issues, uh, those inequities that you see and the the energy that they bring and the motivation that they bring to to work towards, you know, uh, alleviating some of those issues. Yeah. And I know you had a chance to write uh, a piece for the new Leaders Council Medium page and talking about the importance of college counselors and how there's such a discrepancy between 
schools that are resourced and schools that are under-resourced, especially when it comes to counselors and caseloads being too large, those kind of pieces. Can you share a little bit about why that, that counselor piece is so important? Yeah, I I mean, again, speaking for myself, I, I, I had a counselor in my community college. And before that, my, my expectations for and my aspirations for college were very, very, very low. Like I, I just thought I can go to, I wanted to go to the nearest local college and I just wanted to get my degree and I wanted to leave um, because I couldn't see beyond what I thought was possible. And I had a counselor named Isaac and he was this gregarious man who used to wear shorts and Birkenstocks. And he used to yell at me when I go in his office, he'd yell at me if I had any grades that were like C's. And, but he, but he was relentless about it. And, and, and I knew that he cared about me. So that really, you know, raised the level for me and those expectations. And I, I was able to meet them when, you know, with the support that he gave me. And there are so many students like that, that I work with on a daily basis that come in and they have a 4.0 GPA. They're taking like three, five, you know, three to four APs. They're involved in all these extracurriculars. And they're like, I don't think I'm going to get into college. And I'm like, what? Uh, what? And, um, and it's that support that you can give them as a counselor where a lot of students don't have access to counselors, uh, school counselors, especially ones that are, are trained to support first-gen students through the college application process. And that application process is crazy. I mean, it, it starts, it's like a, it's a four-year-long process if you start when you're a freshman and there's so many pieces. And if you don't, if you miss a deadline, then that's it. Um, so counselors are critical in that piece to ensure that all students who, you know, have the academic merit, um, have the aspirations can can actually go to you know to a selective university when they thought it was impossible. And then when you think about roles that other folks in the process can play, whether it's teachers or principals or mentors, uh, you know, like what kind of ways can those kind of stakeholders who aren't counselors make sure that kids make the right match with the, the college they should be going to, and then support them through that process. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it takes a village. It, it definitely takes a village. And for myself, I, I was a first gen uh, student. I had when I went to Berkeley, I had uh, three kids at that point, and I was we were twenty, and we were living away, and it, it was a whole web of, of of people that were there to support me. There were you know my, my family back home who were who were you know cheering me on every day, and then when I would call home and just wanted to quit, they were there to provide that support. And then you had counselors on campus who were there to provide the, the academic, uh, that trajectory, the, the neck, what were the next steps for me? What, you know, what is graduate school and internships? Um, and then you had professors in the classroom who were there to, to ensure that I, uh, I wasn't giving up on myself. Uh, I had a professor who was always, um, you know, supportive of me and like what I was trying to do. And so it takes a whole network. And, and now as a college access counselor and, and a director for a nonprofit, you know, you start to see the stakeholders outside of just those immediate uh, spaces, right? You see uh, lawmakers and you see uh, think tanks and you see all these organizations that really need to kind of coalesce to, to ensure that students have um, all the support, you know, if it's at home, if it's uh, in terms of their health, in terms of adequate housing. There's so many pieces that uh, students need to to ensure that they actually graduate from college because right now, um, you know, it's around 11% of first-gen low-income students will graduate after six years from a four-year university. When we come back, I'll ask Alex a little bit more about uh, once you get into college, how you pay for it and also wrap up some questions about his family. Thanks for listening to The Zag. Stay tuned. Yeah, Alex, what's your best advice on first-gen college students, really any college student at this point, 
navigating the realities of paying for college and managing the debt that probably is going to come with that. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, speaking from direct experience, uh, debt is definitely one of those things that is terrifying when you think about the amount of debt that you can get into. Um, I know with our students, I, you know, one of the most important things is, is, is applying to a university that has a track record of supporting students financially uh, students that meet all the need, right? And some some even go as far as to say that they won't uh, provide you loans, that they're, they're, it's merit aid that they have. So the first step is really identifying schools that uh, have those supports. And they're, they're few and far between, but they're around. And for a lot of students, it's it's stepping out of that comfort zone. I mean, uh, there's schools in, all the way in Maine uh, that have you know programs that support first-gen students and also have money. But for a student who's never been on an airplane, for a student who's never, uh, you know, no, experienced snow, yeah, yeah it, it's it's definitely you need that extra push. So there's that, right? It's ensuring that students are applying to schools that, that have the money, have the resources, um, and you know, being relentless about applying for scholarships. So you know, I I was uh, I got a lot of support from uh, national scholarship programs and local scholarship programs. So there's that. And then, you know, once you graduate, um, I, I was lucky to work for, I, you know, I work for a nonprofit and I qualify for a loan, for, loan forgiveness program. But, you know, under this current administration, it, it's kind of in jeopardy. Uh, but basically, I, you know, for working for public service, you know, you can get your loans forgiven after 10 years. Um, so for me, that's been my, my way to uh, overcome that. But for a lot of students, like you, like you said, the, the, the debt is, is enormous. And if you graduate with a degree that might not have the returns, um, you know, it's, it's really tough. So maybe last question on this point, when you think about who you vote for nationally, whether it's presidential, maybe it's uh, in the state itself or governor's races or those things, do you prioritize a politician who'd have in his or her platform something related to free community college like, like Bernie Sanders had or some of that talk has been here in the state as well? Like where does that issue rank when you're trying to decide who you're going to vote for? I, I mean, I think it's important. Um, I mean, I, I know for, for me, going to community college, it, it was free. In the state of California, I, I had a few waivers. I paid for my classes and tuition and had Cal grants. So that's definitely, uh, you know, an important aspect of a platform for a, a politician. But but there is definitely a lot of nuance to that. I mean, that's one step towards something that is is, is uh, that we can call equity in education. Um, but there's, you know, there's issues of access. There's issues of food insecurity on campus right now, where there's a ton of students who are going hungry because they can't, uh, you know, pay for food during spring break because all, you know, either the the dining halls are closed or, you know, and there's, uh, but there are a lot of schools who are creating food pantries. Uh, there's housing insecurity. So, you know, when we think about equity in education, free college and and college affordability is one aspect of it. But um, but really, it's it's digging into some of those other areas that really permeate and really impact students' uh, post secondary success. Yeah, makes sense. Hey, last thing: when we've had folks on the Zag who have a family, have kids, we've asked uh, how they raise progressive kids. So, for yourself as a dad, how did you try to ensure that the the, the little ones you were raising would turn out progressive? Yeah. Uh, so I I mean I I was I became a dad at seventeen. So it's been a, a you know. Now I have I have four daughters, so it's it's a it's, I live in a sea of estrogen, which I love. <laughs> um, and the oldest now is is about to be a teenager, and you know for me it's been really this lived experience of of walking and and modeling what it means to be progressive. What it what does it mean to have empathy? What does it mean to have compassion? Um, 
at Berkeley. I mean, we used to go and, and, and uh, attend protests and, and be engaged that way. And, and now it's, it's discussions about politics now, you know, in the, in the dining table. And it's just, um, it's always part of our, of our identity as a family and, and how it's important to pay it forward and how it's important to treat others with, with humanity and, and, and morality and ethics. Um, and, you know, a lot of it is for me to learn from my kids. And I, I learned so much for them, especially, I mean, because I'm a dad and I have daughters and I'm always learning about, you know, um, how to be more vulnerable. And my kids, my kids are so curious about things. And that's one thing I think as you get older, you kind of lose when you're caught in the day to day of, of your work and um, how to just slow down for a little bit and play some Legos and have a tea party. Um, and th- I think those little things, you know, that, that you, that you forget about when, when things are happening so fast. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, thanks for being on. And that's good advice. Everyone should go play with some Legos, have a tea party when things get hard. And also, while you're having that tea party or playing with those Legos, make sure to download all the past episodes of The Zag, about 45 of them now. You can find them in the iTunes store, Google Play store as well. We'll have a few more episodes coming later this week and next week. So come back soon. Thanks so much for listening.